Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Well, I am so excited. I have the honor of introducing our speaker um, that is here with us as a guest this morning. And as you know, we love to hear from trusted voices outside of our local church family. Curtis Zachary, uh, better known as CZ, is a friend of Graceland Church. And he spoke a wonderful message here last summer about soul rest. He also has a fantastic book by the same title, Soul Rest, that we highly recommend. And I was in first service, and I can tell you that you're in for a real treat. He is a husband, a father, a pastor, and um, he is just one who invites people into the story of God so that they feel seen and known and loved and accepted. And we are so thankful to have CZ teaching on Psalm 127 with us today. Let's make him welcome as he comes to share with us today. Welcome, CZ. Woo. It is so good to be with you all today. It's an honor to have the chance to open the word with you. Psalm 127 is a beautiful and very important psalm in my life, so it's really exciting to have the chance to spend some time looking at it together. Uh, We'll read the psalm, and then we'll ask God to show us something in it uh, as we jump in together. It says this in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's the word of the Lord. Psalms are a gift to humanity. The Psalms provide such a breadth and depth of the picture of the human experience when it comes to seeking and following God. Uh, The Psalms show the emotion that is true for every human being and the scope of those emotions in day-to-day life rhythms. Uh, The Psalms are so expressive that at times we find ourselves reading them and we Reflect saying, is it okay to talk to God like this? Is it all right to share from our heart truly what we're feeling in this way? The Psalms give us so much in the way of encouragement and guidance in what it means for us to pray and to express before God what is true about our lives I wrote down this quote from a guy named N.T. Wright, and he says, the Psalms are not only poetry in themselves, they are to be the cause of poetry in those who sing them, together and individually. They are God's gifts to us so that we can be shaped as his gift to the world. The Psalms are filling us so that we would live out as his poema, his poetry in the world. Psalm 127, I believe, truly does this in a way that is so important for the person 
who seeks to follow the way of Jesus on earth. It's interesting because the Psalms are in the Old Testament. This is before the time where Jesus comes in bodily form to earth. But yet, I believe this psalm provides guidance and clarity for those who seek to follow him now in ways that not many other writings can. And I want to jump into it to see what it can say to us today because I think it can be both encouraging and challenging to us on this Sunday morning. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There's two builders that are being identified in this first line of the psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. It's important to denote that this is the case because when we're seeking to follow the way of Jesus, we can tend, if we're not careful, to live in a way that is different than God intends for us to live here on earth. And you might be wondering what might be this different way that we will live. Well, I was really thinking about it a lot when I first started to study this psalm. It has become a very important passage of scripture for me. And as I was studying and thinking about what this psalm was saying, I was deeply challenged because I recognized that not only in myself, but maybe those who I spend a lot of time in life with, we can adapt or adopt a certain way of living, even with good intentions, without even recognizing it at times. What I'm meaning by this is I think there are three main ways that we can possibly attempt to live when we're seeking to honor God with our lives. Now, obviously, I think there are a ton of different ways that our lives look on a day-to-day -day basis and what we're hoping to be true about who we are. But these are the three main ways that God illuminated to me and quite honestly convicted me of as I was reading this passage. The first one is this. We can live sometimes as if God does nothing and we do everything. Now this is, again, maybe a little bit of a stirring because we're thinking, wait, I thought we said we were talking about the times where we're following God. How could it be true that we would live as though God does nothing but we do everything? Well, I was stricken with how sometimes I can have a beautiful language about who God is and what he's like. I can talk about how God is over everything. I can even say that I've dedicated my life to following him. I want to do everything in my life to bring him honor. But if someone was to evaluate the way that I actually live on a day-to-day -day basis— if I'm not careful, even though I say a lot of those things about the way that I put God in this position over my life, I actually make decisions and I do things solely based on my own instincts, intellect, and ideas. Even in my good intentions to honor God, I find myself, if I'm not careful, doing a bunch of stuff even for God, but maybe without God. It's really hard to admit this, but I think if we're honest, we find ourselves in this rhythm at times. 
where we seek to do what is right and seek to do what is good, but we forget to ask God himself whether or not he wants us to do any of those things. The most simple analogy that I can think of when it comes to this would be like if we volunteered helping someone build an actual house. The verse is talking about building a house. Well, why not talk about building a house? I think about these organizations like Habitat for Humanity, where you can sign up and volunteer to help out building a house. I'm not a very handy dude. Anybody who knows me well knows that this is true, so I'm probably not the guy you want volunteering. Let's just say I sign up, I got my hard hat, I got a hammer, bring some nails, I show up at the job site, I'm ready to go. I'm looking around, I'm scoping the scene, and everybody's working on a bunch of different parts of the house. Now, no one greets me when I get there. I just show up, and because I want to work, I just set out to start working. So I pick a wall, I grab my hammer, get some nails, and I just start hammering nails into the wall. And for eight hours, I'm out there sweating. I'm grinding, veins popping out of my arms. I'm here, I'm working, I'm ready. And then at the end of the day, I get in my car, take my hard hat off, throw it on the seat, feel so satisfied because I put in a good day's work. The only problem is, even though I did all of that work, it was really for no purpose. Like I had good intentions and I showed up and I was ready to do good work. The problem is I needed someone to stop me before I got into that work and said, I see that you're here. I see that you're ready to do something. Here's what I want you to do. And when you're done with that, come back and talk to me and I'll tell you what's next. The problem is sometimes we have these good ideas or intentions, even intentions of working for God, but we can do all of that work for God without God if we're not careful. So that's one way that we might potentially live as though we're living for God, but really he does nothing and we're trying to do everything. You've ever read this verse in John chapter 15 where it says, Jesus telling us, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides or remains in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're not careful, Sometimes we can read that verse as though it's a suggestion and not the truth. Sometimes we can read that verse and go, well, apart from me, your life isn't really as awesome, but with me, maybe it will be better. No, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Zip, zero, zilch, nada. What, what reminds me of this and what's important for us at times to remind ourselves is that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. So if that's the case, then my life apart from Jesus is not filled with the fulfillment and direction and guidance that he intends for me to have. I have to submit who I am to him so that he would be the lead and the guide and the direction in my life. So one way that we might tend to live if we're not careful is God does nothing, we 
do everything. Well, let's think about the flip side. God does everything and we do nothing. Now this is 100% reasonable in our minds when we consider what it means to know God. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, it says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not from work so that no person can brag about it. No human being can earn God's salvation. It comes from him freely. It is a gift. It's up to us to believe and accept that this is true. That's good news. Carrying that way of thinking forward, now that I've gotten this free gift of salvation, now that God has done the work on my behalf, all of the work will be done on my behalf until I die and leave this place. So now, in my rested reality that I no longer have to work to earn God's love, I no longer have to work to do anything, period, (laughs) And sometimes if we're not careful, we find ourselves living in this way with good language, good intentions, but in the reality of our lives, not living into the thing that we might be saying. What I mean by that kind of makes me think of times with my son, Noah. There are many times where he wants us to do a project together. So we're going to do this project together. We get all the things to do the project together. And now that we're together, we're going to work on this together. But then now in our working on this together, we realize that me and my son together are watching me by myself do the project by myself, right? I don't know if any of you parents can relate to any of this. But we're doing this together, and, and he is under the impression that as the project is being completed and I'm sweating and I'm trying to figure out how to do all of this and he is beaming with pride while watching me do this together with him, that this is us working together. But obviously he's under the impression and he is filled with hope and pride that this will get done and he will take pride that we've done it together but the reality is I'm the one doing all of the work and he will benefit from all of that work that has been completed. Now as a father, I love him and want to do that for him but if we're not careful, sometimes we find ourselves as followers of the way of Jesus living in this same exact manner where even though we're working on things together, we take our hands off and say, well, good luck finishing this, God, and I'll wait until you're done so I can take credit for it. It's really a challenging premise because I know that there are times in our lives where this can feel like it's the only course of action for him to do everything and we do nothing. I wrote down this quote. It says, it's not the will of the Lord that we should be like blocks of wood or that we should keep our arms folded without doing anything, but that we should apply to use all the talents and the advantages which God has conferred upon us, which leads me to this third way of thinking that I truly believe after some time and prayer and consideration 
after that initial conviction that I think God wants me to live in the way of. It's that God does everything and we do something. (laughs) So the first one was God does nothing, we do everything. Second one is God does everything, we do nothing. I really believe that what God intends for his followers here on earth is that we understand he does everything and we do something. He invites us into his kingdom work here on earth. He allows us by his graciousness to participate in a work that he does not need us for. And yet, because of his allowance of our participation, we experience the fullness and the flourishing of seeing him at work in ways that we could never do by ourselves. Isn't that good news? It's good news that we who are here living in the mystery as human beings on earth, trying to figure out what this life is all about, trying to figure out even as Christian people what we are here for. What we are here for is to join the Lord in the renewal of all things here on earth as it is in heaven. That is good news and extraordinarily daunting (laughs) because without his help, We can do nothing, and yet he invites us in so that we might experience the connection and the flourishing that comes from knowing him. There's a guy named Henry Blackaby who wrote this book called Experiencing God, and it's one of those books that's been around for a long time. You may have seen the cover in a bookstore, but it's a beautiful masterwork, and there's one quote that sticks out for me today, and it says, we don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. (laughs) He is inviting us in. One of the things that has been such a simple guidepost for me as I'm trying to figure out all the nuance of what Psalm 127 is gonna teach us is this one simple phrase, See where the Lord is at work and join him there. This is a beautiful way to think about the mystery. How often, and I don't know if you're like this, but how often have you asked the question, what is the will of God for my life? Like, what is the will of God for me? And we get so stuck at times trying to identify this red dot laser-focused will of God that we abandon all of the reality of what is happening around us for the sake of the pursuance of a thing that we have no idea what it is. And what I think God gave me in the way of encouragement in that pursuit is to shorten the question a little bit. It's not to ask first, what is the will of God for my life? It's actually to ask the question, what is the will of God? And the will of God from the very beginning of this story we call the Bible is for us who was created by God to be fulfilled and flourishing as a result of a connection with him alone. God made us first, not to do for him, but to be with him. And that never changed. 
For some reason, we've changed that over years in time. We look at the story of creation in Genesis and see the beauty of the way God made human beings so that they would be fulfilled by him alone. But now in 2021, when we think about our lives trying to live for God, all of the first ways that we think about our connection to God is what are we doing for him? How are we serving him? How are we giving our lives for him? He never stopped wanting to be with us. That's what is first, most important for every follower of the way of Jesus. And when we are with him and when we know him, the doing for God flows from a connection with God. He does everything and we do something. And that's because he builds the house. He is the general contractor. He is the manager. He's the one with the blueprints going, go here, do this, work there. And we respond because he's the builder and we're the builders. When you drive by all these job sites that are all over Nashville right now, there's somebody who's telling all of the workers where to go and what to do. They're both building. One is using hammers and saws. The other one's using blueprints and pointing, but they are working together to build the house. This is what God wants for us in our lives. The second half of that first verse says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I truly believe that every single one of us can relate to this part of the verse in real and vivid ways. Because we're all watchmen over some little city. Uh, some of us very easily can relate to this as parents. We have kids and we're taking care of our families and we want our families to be provided for and protected and safe. And we want the perils of the world to stay far from them. And we want them to grow up as productive and healthy individuals into society. Maybe some of us relate to this because we have jobs that cause us to oversee departments and leading people. And we're caring for those people and wanting them to flourish. Maybe you have a project that you work on in the work that you do. Maybe you oversee other physical spaces, but I think we can all relate to what it's like to oversee or to be a watchman over a thing. And it says right here, unless the watchman understands that there is the Lord who is the great watchman, this watchman does so in vain. Like I think about how much I care about my kids. And there are times where, as parents, we can all relate to the fact that there are tears that come because of the care and the passion that we have to see our kids taken care of. To even begin to approach the idea that there could ever be someone who cares more about my kids than me feels so ridiculous that it's hard to even put into words. And yet, there is a God of the universe, the great watchman who is watching over my little city and loves and cares for my kids more than I could ever imagine. Oh, and by the way, he's watching over me too. Talk about bringing rest. You think about a watchman in this culture when this was written. The watchman would be in a tower and the tower would be high above the city. And the watchman would be looking out to see if there would be enemies. 
And if there were enemies that would be approaching, the watchman would see the enemy before it got close enough, and the watchman would go and alert the city that danger was coming. So that was a really big responsibility. You didn't want to fall asleep at the post if you were the watchman. The watchman had the job of letting everyone know that danger was afoot. But if the watchman is carrying this weight alone, imagine the anxiety and the stress and the worry of carrying the responsibility of the lives of a whole city on your own shoulders. It's too much for any human to bear. And that's what the writer Solomon is trying to get us to see is that we do this so often. We carry in our own strength the weight that is intended for God himself to carry. He does everything and we do something. We respond to how he leads and guides and directs. You're not watching over your little city alone. There is a great watchman and he loves and cares way more than we ever could. This is good news. In James chapter four, verse 13, it says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. James never minces words. All through the letter of James, this is very apparent. And I love the directness of this verse because it reminds us that if we're not careful, we can be the ones that take upon our own shoulders responsibility of things that need to happen for God more than God himself. And that just does not add up. Have you ever worked so hard on a project and you've given so much time and attention and focus to this project or to doing this thing and you have given all that you have and you've researched and you've studied and you've purchased and you've built and you've made and you've worked and you laid down at night and at that moment you should be the most rested that you ever would be because you've poured it all out. You've left it all on the field as they say say. But in that moment, have you found that you still feel anxious and worried because you realize that whether or not this project works is completely upon your shoulders alone? See, it should be a time where you should say, I've done everything that I can do, but yet anxiety, stress, and worry abound because we carry alone the responsibility. And what God is trying to remind us in these verses is I am the one. I am the one who is your provider and your sustainer. Come to me and I will give you what you need unless the Lord watches over the city. 
verse two, it says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. What this is saying is it's possible for us to wake up before everybody else. You are already grinding. You're into your day by the time somebody else wakes up for their morning coffee. You get up before the birds, before the sun, and you'll show them, I'll give the world all that I got. And then you stay up later. Everybody else is sleeping, and you're still working on your laptop. I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? And as hard as we work, and those are good things to do, by the way, the problem comes in when all of our identity, our worth, and our value are connected to our ability to work, outwork everybody else, get up earlier than everybody else, stay up later than everybody else. Because what he says is, if that is where you find your identity, if that's where your sustenance is, the only reward you get is the bread of anxious toil. That just doesn't even sound good, right? Even if you don't know what it means, it's just like, I don't want that. <laughs> the bread of anxious toil. What it's saying is your only reward for getting up early and going to bed late is more anxiety, stress, and worry that tears apart your life. But I love that there's a semicolon to show that there's a new idea that's being expressed. And it says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, when I say that word sleep, some of you immediately go, yes. If we could just dim the lights right now, let me catch 15 before I got to go pick up the kids. Like, we're good. Good sermon. And physical sleep is good. I have little kids. I need some sleep. We can all use sleep. But this word sleep. And its essence is a little bit more rich and deep than even what we see. Yes, the word sleep evokes this satisfying response, but this word sleep truly means rest. And it's not just a physical rest. It is the kind of rest that satisfies the longing soul. And what this psalm is reminding us is every bit of where we try to find our identity, worth, and value in what we do and how we perform and how much we work and how much we carry on our own, it is he alone that gives us the satisfaction in our soul that we need. So the reminder and the challenge in this psalm is that we would stop trusting in our own ability to sustain ourselves and begin to know that there's a great builder, a great watchman who desires to be the leader and the guidance and the director of our lives. The beauty of what this psalm represents is that it gives us instruction, but we here in 2021 have the beautiful benefit of looking back at Jesus who came to die so that we might live. And in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the sin and the shame that has held us captive in our lives, the sin and the shame that has driven the way that we have worked to earn and to try to prove and to impress God is no longer what drives our lives. It's the finished work of Jesus that gives us our new life and identity. And the rest that he gives his beloved is that your soul is no longer subject to your work as its identity. Your soul has rest through the finished work of Jesus Christ.
Let me pray for us. God, we trust you. We thank you for this psalm, that it reminds us that it's so easy to adopt a way of thinking that it is us and only us who is responsible for what happens here on earth in your name. God, I, I know that times come where I just wanna take my hands off the wheel and just say, you completely drive. I don't want anything to do with it. I know there's other times, God, where I wanna push your hands out of the way and I wanna take over the wheel and say, I got this, leave me alone. But God, I just want that imagery of you and I holding the wheel together, knowing that you are guiding and directing where we're headed. You are the one who is steering. I am participating with you in what you are doing, your strength, your will, your power, your purpose. We trust this and say, yes, I want to be in on that. Show us, God, the places where maybe today we've been challenged in some of those areas where we've chosen to make decisions on our own or to throw up our hands and trust that something will happen without our participation. Show us how to say yes to your kingdom work on earth and how to trust that you are the builder. You are the one who will sustain us, guide us, and lead us into what to do. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, CZ, can we just give CZ a hand and thank you for being with us today and sharing the word with us today. I want to leave you with this benediction this morning. Go with confidence into the days ahead, trusting in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God will not abandon you, for you are the work of his hands, his own creation, and his love endures forever. So go enjoy to love and serve the Lord in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great afternoon, family. We love you very much.